Thank you. Isn't Sharice great? She's so cool. Uh, also, 6 p.m. service is not tonight, but there will be 6 p.m. service again starting next Sunday. And I think that we're going to have like a DJ and food and stuff. So if that's typically your service, re-engage. Jump right back in there. It's going to be a good week next week. Uh, obviously, we know that this is a big weekend uh, because it's uh, Baby Jack Turn 2 this weekend. So that's, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. And uh, we're excited about that. He's so stinking cute. <clears throat> and um, so we were celebrating that way. I was talking with a friend of mine this week about this Pursuit of Happiness series that we're in. And he said, well, I kind of have a bad uh, affiliation with the pursuit of happiness. You see, when I was in high school, he says, his name's Jake. Jake says, he says, I was, I was like 15 or something, and my, and my sister came back from college, and she brought her boyfriend. And they show up, and, you know, this is my boyfriend from college. Oh, yeah, you know, parents are like, checking him out. Like, is this the deal and everything? And then all of a sudden, before he knows it, he's invited to the movies with sister and boyfriend. And he's 15. He's like, I don't drive. Sure, I'm not doing anything else. Let's go to the movies. So they go, they show up, they sit down, they see Pursuit of Happiness. As they're going into the aisle, you know, that awkward aisle time, he realizes that he's in between them. And then they sit down, and he's still in between them. And so he leans over and he says, guys, let me switch. This is weird. Like, and, and Molly, sister, puts a hand on his knee and is like, no, stay there. And he's like, oh, okay. And so he just kind of shuts his mouth and holds the popcorn in the middle. And uh, hands are kind of doing the thing. And then after a while of awkwardness, uh, eventually boyfriend gets up and goes to the bathroom. And he leans over to his sister Molly and says, what is going on here? And she says, sorry, I should have told you um, back at the house a little while ago, we broke up. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I want him to go home, but there wasn't a flight tonight, so he's flying home tomorrow, and you just need to sit there and hold the popcorn for, uh, <laughs> for the rest of the movie. So he goes, I have bad associations with the pursuit of happiness, Will Smith and all. Uh, I don't know what your associations are, but we are talking about it this series, The Pursuit of Happiness. Jake's here, by the way, 26, eligible bachelor, good-looking guy, just saying. Uh, and so, <laughs> and uh, we're talking about The Pursuit of Happiness in this series, and, and uh, we're talking about it because everyone in the world wants more. In 2015, no one had New Year's resolutions that said, I want to have a more mediocre existence in 2015 than 2014. No, everyone is trying to get more, go further, achieve more, have a better life, have a better love life, uh, meet the person, you know, get the job, make more money, whatever it is, that's what people are looking for. And there's nothing wrong with that, we've said in this series. What's wrong with it is we tend to go about it in the wrong ways. We, we try to grab it and claim it for ourselves and put it on dream boards and say, this is what I'm entitled to. I want that. I'm going to name it. I'm going to claim it. It's going to be mine. And, and we squeeze all the joy out of life. And we realize that the more we go after those things, the more they just slip through our fingers and we end up more dissatisfied, more unhappy on the other side. And so what we've been saying is that happiness is not achieved, it's received. You can only receive happiness that God is the generous gift giver. He loves to give good gifts to his children. And that's what we've been talking about in this series and how he says that we can live life to the full. So we've been reading this verse. This is the theme verse from John 10.10. 10. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose, Jesus says, is to give you a rich and satisfying life. Today we're talking about relationships, so we can read it this way. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy your relationships. Jesus' purpose is to give you a rich and satisfying life. 
and loving relationships because our lives revolve around relationships, whether you like it or not. Life is about relationship. And so we're talking, we talked last week about anger in our relationships. You can listen to past messages on podcasts and stuff. Today, we're talking more about relationships. And I just wanted a little disclaimer up front. If you have a young kid in here with you, there's a little bit of like kind of like PG-13 talk just because of the nature of what we're talking about. So if that's cool with you, it's cool with me, but I just want to let you know so you don't write me letters later, okay? <laughs> relationships thrive when people feel loved and respected. Relationships thrive when people feel loved and respected. Relationships struggle when people feel hurt and devalued. We, uh, we mentioned last week, I want to lay the foundation again this week, that we, Jesus is talking when he's speaking to his people, like, like people here. There's, there's religious people that have been going to church their whole life, and they, they know how to do all the right things and say all the right things and pray the prayers right. And there's people that are just checking out God for the first time, and they're, they're the whole spectrum. And so he's talking to people like us. That's, that's our spectrum here. And, uh, and, and in the culture that he's speaking to 2,000 years ago, it's a Middle Eastern culture, and the culture was all about honor and shame. Our culture here is a little bit more like guilt and achievement. You try to achieve greatness. If you screw up, if you fail, if you do bad on the test, you get Ds, you get Fs, you get, you know, you get a ticket if you're driving fast, you, know, you go to prison if it's really bad, that kind of stuff, and it's, it's more based on guilt and achievement. In that culture, it was honor and shame. So if you were someone who said, you know, I don't want to do what my dad wants me to do. I'm going to go on and do my own thing. You've brought honor, dishonor on yourself and on the family. And if there was enough dishonor mounting, the family might just kick you out. You're done. We're cutting you off. You're ostracized. You're on the out and out. Honor and shame culture. Still a lot of cultures operate that way today. And so I want, that's an important context. I'm going to come back to it later uh, because honor is a word that we all think that we know and, but we don't really use it. And I would suggest that maybe a lot of us don't even really understand it or know why it's important. And so I want to ask you the question you might be asking, why is this message, why is this talk this morning important to me? I want to suggest to you that you don't know as much as you think you do about the state of your relationships. You don't know as much as you think you do. I was surprised this week when Hillary came to me and uh, she said, uh, Caleb, I feel disconnected from you. I was like, really? Okay. And then, and then, you know, she said, yes, and I don't feel like you're hearing me. To which I replied, what? <laughs> it's a bad joke, bad joke. <laughs> But I didn't realize, we had the conversation, we, were, we kind of worked it through, and, and I didn't realize what she was feeling. I didn't realize what she had been feeling for me, why she felt disconnected to these things. I thought everything was just going along fine, and some of you do too. And it's not fine. Others of you know that your relationships, some of your most critical relationships, maybe a marriage, maybe a boyfriend, girlfriend, maybe parents, coworkers, you know that you're on rocky times, you know things are a mess, and you're going to listen in too. But there's something for everyone in this message, because my goal is to spare you as much pain as possible, if at all possible, by bringing God's truths and making them relevant to where we're at in our life. I hope to spare you as much pain as possible, because I've been through pain. I'm just saying from the outset, I have been divorced. Nine years ago, I went through a divorce. Not of my choosing necessarily, but I had a leading role in the mess of the marriage. And, and I know what that pain is like. 
I also know what it's like before I went through a divorce to be the one who judged other people going through divorces, <laughs> thinking, how come you can't even keep your most important marriage together? You call yourself a Christian and blah, blah, blah. So I've been that guy and I've been the guy in the middle of the mess. So wherever you find yourself on that spectrum today, uh, I can relate and you can relate too. Jesus has the words of truth and we're going to read eight sentences that just might open our eyes to what he wants for our relationships. From the most famous sermon ever preached, it's called the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5 of Matthew, starting in verse 27, says, you have heard the command, the commandment that says, you must not commit adultery. But I tell, but I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That's where we're starting. Jesus is saying to the religious people who think they do everything right and to everyone else who's listening in, just like our context here today, you think that you're doing all the right stuff and you're falling in line, you're walking the line because you're not having full-blown affairs. But I tell you that adultery begins in the heart. In other words, it's not just about the physical, but there's a spiritual, invisible reality that's at play here. There's more to it. There's, there's something else beyond just kind of not stepping over the line or seeing how much I can get away with. There's, there's a bigger thing happening here. And he's speaking to the religious people who make other people feel badly because they're not living up to the expectations. And they're like, you guys are far from God because you do, you do bad, sinful stuff. And the religious people are like, see, we don't have affairs. We don't, we're not committing adultery. And Jesus is saying, oh, no, 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 no. You think that you've got this thing down, but there's something else something bigger, something more, and, and even something invisible. I'm interested in your heart. And then he goes on. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, that's extreme, right? Jesus is saying, it's better for you to take an extreme stance on this and take an extreme actions and gouge out your eye or cut off your hand because the physical ramifications of that are easier, better, not as bad than the spiritual ramifications if you don't. If you just let this thing continue to play out to your own demise, it's worse than the physical consequence of cutting out or gouging out. Now, in this culture, remember, it's an honor-shame culture, it's, it's a bigger deal even than it is with you and me. So if, if someone here loses their hand in battle or somewhere else uh, on the farm or whatever, or if their eye, if they lose an eye, we can just put a glass eye in, you can still be an anchor on Sports Center. you know what I mean? It's a, but in that day, it's too soon, sorry, I, I, I thought, honoring him, honoring him. In that day, in that day, you were ostracized. It was a sign of shame. You, people would think that you have done something wrong in God's eyes, and that's why this happened to you, your hand, your eye. They would think that maybe you've dishonored the gods, and, and so this is what's brought, this brought the, you brought this on yourself. And they would send you away, and you couldn't work anymore because you didn't have the, the, the hand. And so you, were, you brought shame upon yourself, and you didn't fit into that culture. So Jesus is saying more than just what he's saying. He's suggesting that they're not thinking about honor properly. 
that there's more to honor you religious people who make other people feel bad because they don't measure up to your standards. There's more to honor than just whether or not your body's in complete, you know, tact. There's more to honor than whether or not you've had a full-blown affair. There's more to honor than the way you are looking at it. We've all used the excuses like, but it's not hurting anyone else, you know? This is just, this is just my struggle. If it wasn't this, it'd be something else. And this is just, you know, this is... Jesus is saying, no, no, it's, it's, it's bigger than that. I'm not, I'm not playing the legalistic game with you. I'm telling you, let's consider your heart and let's consider the bigger story here. He says in Romans 12.10, Paul says in Romans 12.10, love each other with a genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Love each other with a genuine affection and take delight in honoring other people. He's getting at the same thing that Jesus was. You're thinking about honoring wrong. It's all about you. And so Paul says, inspired by this same Jesus, honor each other. In fact, enjoy honoring each other. So this is what lust is. Lust is, I want what I want when I want it. I'm going to take it. I want it now. I want it this way. I want it when I want it. That's lust. Versus love, which according to Paul, what we just read in that verse is genuine affection. It's not about me. Delighting in honor. My pleasure is your honor. Because our human nature is to take for ourselves. Jesus says, there's a better way. There's a higher way than the way you guys are going about honor and figuring out what you can justify. Lustfulness is not just about sex and porn and bad habits. It's about honoring. Here's the wrong question to ask in the conversation of lust. The wrong question to ask is how far is too far? That's what people talk about, right? Where's the line? How much can I get away with before I get into serious trouble? Right? How much can I get away with before God strikes me down with lightning as if that happened? Right? How, how far is too far, according to the scripture that we're reading, is the wrong question to ask. A better question is, what can I do to honor this person? What can I do to honor this person? You see the change? It's not about the nitty-gritty of the sin and dancing around, what's good, bad, the gray area. Just put that aside. What can I do to honor this person? What can I do to honor my most important relationships? What can I do to honor God? What would that look like? What if that was our aim, our focus? It's impossible to honor while lusting, while taking what I want when I want it. At the same time, It's impossible to lust while honoring. You elevate, you build up, you give honor to. Now, lust plays out in a lot of different ways, fantasy and all kinds, but pornography is probably the primary primary one that impacts us. I would suggest that all of us have been affected by pornography, maybe have struggled with it, maybe do struggle with it. I have struggled with it in my life. I understand this, I know this, and it's important for us to talk about just for a few moments, I think. Porn is a cheap substitute for the real thing. So when Paul says, love each other with genuine affection, porn is the exact opposite of that. There's nothing genuine about it, right? 
It's a cheap substitute. It objectifies. It does not honor. And you don't need me to, you know, lash out on porn and tell you it's not good. Uh, GQ magazine tells you that you shouldn't look at porn. <laughs> I found this recently. GQ magazine offers you the 10 reasons why people should stop looking at porn. Number one, interest decline. Our brain gets conditioned to newness, and we think, we, well, I just, I'm only stimulated, I'm only attracted to newness, newness, newness. And so our actual attraction to the, peep, the person that we're with begins to slowly decline when we just focus on what's new and different and next. Number two, according to GQ Magazine, 10 Reasons Not to Look at Porn by GQ Magazine. <laughs> Number two, controlling desires. One-fifth of people admit compulsive desires. So a, a fifth or more of the people that are using pornography find that compulsiveness begins to creep in. Number three, it's a time waste. Most people using porn admit to five to 15 hours spent each week indulging in porn. Number four, according to GQ magazine, loneliness, a real lack of, or lack of real actual relationships because fixated on these imaginary things. Number five, expensive. Half of male college students use porn regularly and are wasting their parents' money on education. Six, too young. Over half of male porn users started between the ages of 12 and 14. Seven, increasingly dark. 64% say that their desires get increasingly intense or deviant over time. 64%. Number eight, performance issues. A third report negative impact of viewing porn on their actual sex lives. Number nine, healing. 60% say that when they abstain from looking at porn for 60 or more days, their performance and actual relationship improves. Number 10, productivity. 67% say that when they abstain, their energy and productivity levels increase. GQ Magazine. GQ Magazine is telling you that people shouldn't look at porn. It has all those negative effects. But if you say, if you look at the Bible and you see, yeah, it's probably not a good idea. Stay away from impurity. You're like, ah, God's a buzzkill. You know, yes. what is this <laughs> moral legalism that you speak of? God's not a buzzkill. He's been saying this for the whole time because he created you and he knows what's good for you and healthy for you. It's not that he's trying to limit you and prevent you from having a full and meaningful life. He wants you to have a full and meaningful life. And GQ Magazine agrees that that's not the way <laughs> to have a full and meaningful life. It's not worth it just to do whatever we want to do when we want to do it. GQ Magazine knows it's not worth it, right? How much more? God wants what's good for you. He says there's something higher. There's something better than this. Instead of settling for cheap substitutes, wanting what we want when we want it, would you consider today that maybe just by reframing what you think you want and it being about you, if you turn and think, what would honor? What would honor? Not how much can I get away with? Where's the line? How can I teeter it? What would honor? What would honor the God who created me and designed me? What would honor myself in this life? What would honor the people I care most about me? Here's what the Bible says about how you honor you. 1 Thessalonians 4, God's will is for you to be holy and to stay away from sexual sin. 
Then each of you will control their own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God. Even though we think that we want something, even though we think that we're justified to do something, even though we think it's fine and it makes sense and we can get away with it and who really cares, it's not good. It's not leading you to the full and rich life that God wants for you. And he says that self-control is actually for you. Not for him to like have you under his thumb, it's for you. Self-control will lead you more to the life that you actually want. Consider processed foods as an example. Years ago, years ago, no one knew, my mom didn't know that Wonder Bread was making us unhealthy. Years later, my brother has like celiac disease or whatever and can only eat down one aisle of the grocery store because we've been pumping kids full of these processed things for their whole lives. Now, we all know that today. You still eat it, but at least you know that, <laughs> that this, is, this is what's making me lethargic and fat, right? At least, you know... But we can choose. We, we, we know that that's, that's the reality. That's what we live in. And we can choose to honor our own bodies or not. How about honoring the other person, him or her? First Peter says, in the same way, you husbands, give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding. And then just a few verses earlier, it says, you wives should yield to your husbands. Then if some husbands do not obey God's teaching, they will be persuaded to believe without anyone saying a word to them. They will be persuaded by the way their wives live. You see, there's a bigger story going on here. It's not just about what's justified, what, what I can get away with, what, how far is too far, or what can I... There's a bigger story happening here, a bigger story of honor, that when we honor each other, you might even win this person over to a relationship with God. Maybe, maybe even though they're not right and you honor them, you might, you might win them over in the long run. Maybe even though they're not living right, there's something about what God is doing through you that might point them to him over time. There's something bigger. There's a bigger story that God's telling. Something, something about us realizing God's love for us through the way that our most important people love us and honor us, whether or not we deserve it. We honor each other. We honor ourselves. Last, we honor marriage. Hebrews 13.4 says, Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. But he hasn't always been faithful to me. But she hasn't honored me. She doesn't do the things that she knows are important to me. Again, what if that's not the right question to ask, whether or not that they deserve it, whether or not it's justified? What if it's a, what if it's a different question? Jesus says this in another place in Luke. He says, do to others as you would have them do to you. Not as they've done to you. It's not about previous experience. It's about you taking the initiative. You setting the new course. You initiating with honor and love 
and respect, whether they deserve it or not. You treat someone else, a spouse, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a coworker, a boss, how you want to be treated. You honor them. There's no bigger test in life than marriage, and marriage will test your ability to receive grace and your willingness to extend grace. And people have been screwing this up since there were relationships, men especially, and here Jesus' words specifically targeted toward men in his day. He says, this is the next sentence in his Sermon on the Mount. It's been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, in Jesus' day, only a man could divorce his wife. The wife couldn't divorce the guy. And it was way bigger. The honor-shame thing had way more impact than we realize. In that day, when someone got married, it was a family marrying a family. And a family's honor being married to and merged with another family's honor. And so a family, they, would have, they did arranged marriages. Isn't that a treat? And so a family <laughs> over here would say, hey, I like that family, and, and she is probably going to end up like her parents, so I'm going to have you marry her, right? And so they would get married, and the family's honor would then be joined, And so if they decided or if he decided that he didn't want to be married to this woman anymore, he had a really bad year with the crops or he just, his team lost in the Super Bowl or he was just really angry about whatever, he he might divorce her and say, here's a certificate of divorce, here you go. But it was much messier than that. It was as if she was saying, he was saying, you are no longer under my honor. You're on your own. Now, you've already been given away from your family of honor to come under my honor, and now I'm dismissing you, so you are honorless. And to try to find some honor really quickly, she might jump into another relationship, and then it becomes this messy thing, and Jesus is saying, I don't want that. I don't want you tearing down people's honor because you had a bad year or because you're fickle or because you want the next younger thing or whatever it is. I want you to honor each other. It's messier, it's bigger, and I'm telling a bigger story here. I want you to love each other like I love you. In other words, Jesus might say, in the past you've tried to make divorce really justifiable and clean and neat and here, just give them a certificate. But I tell you, it's more than that. It's more significant than that. I will never reject you or dishonor you. Why would you send your wife away? I want you to stick through this, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Now, I'm not talking about situations that are unsafe. There have been people that I know that are in relationships that are unsafe that they need to get themselves out of or relationships that are really just no longer a marriage at all. I'm not talking about that. But I do want us to consider that divorce is not what God wants, that it's really costly more than we understand. And if there is a way to avoid it and to focus, on, focus instead on what the person is or isn't doing, instead just on honoring the other person, that is better. Now remember, I'm telling you this as someone who has been divorced nine years ago. I'm telling you this stuff as someone who has struggled with pornography. I get it. There is grace. There is grace. There is grace. And there's a better way. 
there's a better way. That you can have more of a rich and satisfying life as you follow Jesus, as you trust him. I want to show you a video of a story of a family from our church that, whose marriage was dramatically turned around. This is Adam and Jenny's story. So I started marriage with this fantasy fairy tale idea from all the movies and I think I came down from that wedding high pretty quickly. I also recognized that we did have issues and that we weren't where we wanted to be, but it, you know, I, I kind of took what was natural to me, which was to look to books and look to sort of all the relationship guides and advice that I could get and I thought that if I could wrap my mind around it, that that would fix everything, but it didn't. I think that's what led us to go to Mariner's Good Friday service. You know, I remember crying and you know, it was you never unusual for me. <laughs> for me that was a big breakthrough because that was sort of the first time I started thinking like, you know, maybe God needs to be part of my life in a way that he hadn't been before. But it, you know, it, it didn't fix everything all of a sudden. It wasn't like I started going to church and I said, oh, this is great. All the problems in our marriage disappeared. I was just, I was done. I was cold and hardened and moved out and I was done. So you told me t two different times that you had, you were done with the marriage, you wanted a divorce. And I think both times I was sort of in shock because we had never thought divorce was an option. And after you moved out, I was unable to focus or really do anything. And it was particularly difficult because I was about to take the bar exam. I knew that going to church had become a big part of your life. I knew that was sort of the way I could get you to take the bar. So our contract was four church services and two dinners together. At the end of one of the sermons, when we had the chance to go light the candle of hope, um, I just remember feeling hope and, you know, we had that moment at the front of the church together, just holding each other and crying. We were just in that church at that moment because God said, like, you're going to be here and this is what you're going to do. I secretly started preparing the apartment, just getting ready for you to come back home. You just asked will you move back in with me and I, of course, hugged you as a, as yes. <laughs> <laughs> so our marriage is completely different now than it ever has been before. Just, it feels like I'm married to a completely different man. And it feels like I'm in a completely different marriage. God changed not only our marriage, but who we are. Similar issues come up, but I found that we deal with them completely differently. Thank you for not giving up. Thank you for not giving up. If you're in a marriage that's going great, you might not understand completely the state of things. And it doesn't hurt you to ask the question, am I honoring? If you're in a marriage that is on the rocks, maybe you're right in the middle of a divorce. You know how painful this is. But maybe instead of sides and 
he said, she said, and all, all the crap that's there. Maybe this shift, am I honoring? And if you're single and not yet married, I promise you, this is the kind of marriage that you want. And it starts on the foundation of honoring the other person. Not seeing what you can get, not seeing what you can take, not making it about you. It just doesn't work out. Let's ask the question, am I honoring? In all our relationships, husbands, wives, girlfriends, boyfriends, kids, boss, coworkers, am I honoring? Ask yourself, does our home honor? Does my work honor? Fill in the blank. This person, God. Does my computer honor? Does my phone honor? Does my calendar honor? Do my words honor? In Jesus' day, honor was all about public reputation and what the society thought. There's still something to that. Are you honoring people, the most important people, publicly? Do you show public displays of appreciation? Ellie, I'm sorry for how I screw this up. I'm inconsistent. I want this for our church. I want this for you. Because divorce sucks. It's costly. More than you think. And if you're here and you've been divorced like me, if you're here and you've struggled with pornography, or maybe you're in full-blown addiction mode right now, there's hope for you and there's grace for you. We're all the same. But there's a better way. There's a better way. God, would you speak to us? Would you encourage us? Would you allow us to experience your love and your grace that we can extend it to others?